Hey everybody, welcome to Hit Rewind, the podcast devoted to tons of crazy movies and other pop culture events. Throughout the years, we are now in the middle of 1992. I'm your host, Michael, and John's on the other side. I'm waving, you just can't see it. <laughs> I'm flipping people off. The heat is getting to both of us. I actually thought I was suffering, and he is doing way worse than I am. Where? How hot is it where you are right now? Fuck you! No. <laughs> no, I'm sure there's some people that are suffering way worse than we are. Um, but it's a dry heat. It means you just spontaneously combust if you go into the sun. It's better that way. <laughs> you don't suffer. I said, I, I, I would prefer it if it was a dry heat than when I yeah, get uh, Yeah, but we discussed, yeah, I'd rather have the dry heat too. Um, so uh, I want to start off with a movie I just finished right before recording, and it's Raising Cain, a movie I hated growing up because I didn't understand it. I understand it now. And I thoroughly enjoy that Brian De Palma's fucking with us. <laughs> well, well, part of it is, I, I will say this, the theatrical cut of this film, I don't think I particularly like. There's, there's not something, it's not that there isn't anything in here to enjoy, but from what I understand, I guess there was studio meddling, especially at the editing phase. Yeah. Which they completely, uh, they kind of chopped up how the storyline went. So... Where's the director's cut? There is apparently it's a quote unquote fan cut oh, that became okay. that that will that became the official director's cut. Okay, but is that like on the Shop Factory disc or is this available? It, yeah, yeah, it's like yeah, it's on one of the discs. Okay, that, well then uh, I'm gonna have to released. see it then. Because um, because apparently it's the way that the storyline goes is that you kind of start with the uh, the marital infidelity and then like I. Not sure exactly how far into it, but at least like a third or two, you know, almost halfway through it, all of a sudden, then you get split personality. Oh, well, that's interesting. It, yeah, I think the movie, you know, it frustrated me back then because I didn't understand how movies could be cut like that. Like, it was just completely new. I was used to just A to B. That's it. Um, and this one, it's it does seem like it's kind of disorienting. And I was like, well, he's just fucking with us and doing it on purpose. But he's still messing with us in the, in the best way possible. Other than Paul Verhoeven, is there a major studio director that just constantly screwed with us? <laughs> well, I would I would go Lynch because he has made very main you know yeah studio what, films. Dune. What just Dune wrote though, right? Well, no, I would say uh, Twit uh, Fire Walk with Me was oh was right. a studio was a, definitely eh, a studio that film. Was a new line that was more of an independent back then, but yeah, I just feel like. Um, the only difference is between all those, all three directors, is Verhoeven's constantly fucking with us, except for his like homegrown movies. Uh, Lynch, that's just who he is. De Palma jumps in and out of doing like these really like mainstream movies, and then will go and do some lower budget exploitation film, you know, somewhere in there. Because if you look at his filmography, all the seventies is basically exploitation film. I mean, Carrie's a little bit more like higher level. I'm not gonna say elevated. Fuck you. <laughs> um, but then he started going mainstream in the 80s and 90s and then just like scattered in the middle of some of these he would throw in this crazy fucking movie like Body Double have you seen Body Double? no weirdly enough I have not seen that many De Palma films uh, yeah he's like, one of my I, favorites like was, yeah uh, thinking about it I go like how many have I seen I go like wow yeah it's he's not a guy whose who's, uh, philosophy I've really settled in on much yeah. and he has these movies that people like would you know give terrible reviews terrible box office and then later you would reflect on going oh i see what he was doing there and raising kane was definitely one of those released in the summer of 92 and it just got destroyed 
It only made like eight million dollars, and I can see why it didn't appeal. I feel like I feel like this is something maybe an independent studio should have done. Well, part of it is, and this is this is where I think it kind of fails is he's doing Hitchcock, and I think because we've we've had people try to do Hitchcock, you know, Hitchcockian films, and usually they're not good. Yeah, like, he's always doing Hitchcock though. Even in his studio films, like Untouchables, he still has flavors of Hitchcock. But if there was well, anybody is, who's devoted to the memory of Hitchcock, it is De Palma. But, well, I mean, this is this is basically he's remaking Psycho without remaking Psycho and giving it one bananas ass performance. The only real reason you want to see this movie is Lithgow. Just oh pull, yeah, that's yeah. I I will even say this. I don't even think this is this is far from Lithgow's best performance in anything. But Lithgow is the kind of actor who loves the plane of acting. Yeah. Like, he, he is there for bonkers, off-the-wall characters. He just likes... I genuinely feel that the man just will read a script and go like, oh, am I getting to play something? You know, am I getting to go in and just have fun, you know, for a month or two? Shit, I'm, I'm in. Yeah. And he is, yeah, it's like, play one crazy character or play four crazy characters yeah and that's the thing is that five, it's, actually, well, and it's constantly messing with spoilers everybody spoilers uh I thought that his father was another one of his you know personalities yeah, yeah and then they show that and he's playing Margo and he's playing it was it Joshua or Joseph the little boy yeah. Um, now, was he fucking with her when he was Joseph? I felt like Joseph didn't exist and that he was just waiting. It was someone else pretending to be Joseph, and he was no, waiting cause, for her. No, because you have the little boy who, uh, when he's kidnapping uh, one of the one of the women, you have the little boy literally walk out, and it's got Lithgow's voice. It's like, you're doing something bad. And his uh, and Kane is like, shut up and get out of here. Oh, Okay, so, so that little boy was never real. Okay, now I get it. I, it, he, it was an illusion, or uh, a delusion. Yeah. Okay, oh, that answers so much. Fuck, I gotta go watch this again. <laughs> yeah, it just, it, it, it is kind of wonky in the storytelling. And basically, Kane is, like, almost engineered split person. Well, all the characters are engineered, right? Because his father was purposely messing with him. Yeah, yeah his father abused him in whatever ways to just kind of you know to splinter out this uh you know this person into yeah it's like just all these different uh now was it to study him or was it what was the real reasoning behind it oh it was well basically was trying to figure out uh, the idea of how how personalities form and all you know i guess personality in general so he's almost like works. he's borderline almost mad scientist mad psychologist oh yeah well, yeah, because that's because that was the whole. I'm gonna kidnap children so I can have my own, uh, fo- you know, uh, the not say focus group for some stupid reason, control group. So then we can. Okay, how do normal children behave? I I, I destroyed this one. How do normal children <laughs> operate? Yeah. And, and and the one cliche of De Palma that does get kind of tedious is the slow mo finale. That's oh, really, yeah. really dragged out. But I love that he was kind of leading you in. <laughs> I really thought Bauer was going to... Stephen Bauer was going to get impaled on that thing, and then they'd throw it at the last second. And I was like, oh, De Palma pulled me in <laughs> like a fish. 
Yeah, um, I really enjoyed it. It's not one of my favorites. I can give you a whole list of my favorite De Palmas. It's it's kind of lower down there, but I, it's really for uh, Lithgow's performance because everybody else in it is kind of bland. What's one one of what the funniest thing about this film? My my knowledge of this film is, I knew about this film because it was advertised on the back of comics. Yeah, that's wild, isn't it? But Universal had yeah. a contract with uh, Marvel, and they would advertise all of their movies on the back of the. Yeah, so it's like, I knew that this film existed, and I knew it was about a split personality because of just marketing off a comic book. That's literally it that I knew about that going into this thing. This is, this is wild. We're not going to discuss this on the show, but Dr. Giggles was created by the head of Dark Horse Comics, but it was sold on the back of Marvel Comics when it came out, and, and they, I don't recall them ever doing any comics with it. It was like an original creation that Universal picked up. Huh. Universal is basically the only studio in the 90s, you know, major studio that was keeping horror alive. If you look, it's there's a few from Paramount, and almost everybody else ditched it. Uh, Universal had like three or four low-budget thrillers, uh, horror, you know, movies coming out per year. It was their bread and butter. Well, someone had to do it. Right? Yeah, uh, thank goodness, because horror died in 1989, so basically all you got is psychological thrillers and Freddy knockoffs that never really connected. Oh, come on. Shocker. I knew you were going to say shocker. That's exactly what popped in my head, too. <laughs> uh, the only one I think really connected was, what, Candyman? Yeah. 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 Um, so our second film is a controversial one. Um, I know it gets a lot of love, and I even I do appreciate the assembly cut. Uh, this is the only oh. one that I didn't watch recently. I had it on Blu-ray last year, and I had to sell it because I was moving. Um but the assembly cut of Alien 3 is what we're going to discuss next. And yeah. I'm still mad. I'm still mad that they died. I know. People are like, oh, it's supposed to be dark. You know what? No. I just You go through that journey of hell in the second movie. Well, no, because they had comics at this point where, that told they continued the story. Did they? And they actually, yeah. Okay. The, Alien, the Alien comics actually had original run. It features Newt and uh, Hicks okay. as as like main characters and then Alien 3 happened so they ended up re-releasing the comics changing the names okay oh, by the way I just moved my chair with my foot everybody that wasn't me farting just letting you know I, if I fart on the air I'll be proud of it <laughs> um, and my idea here's a weird idea I know that um, well, that Neil Blomkamp had an idea for kind of reconfiguring it like he, they were going to go through an alternate timeline and they would split off in two different ships or something but I was thinking, like, if you did it, if I were in control, whatever, uh, Ripley would go to jail for blowing up the station, even though she was, you know, warned not to. Like, she's held responsible. And then it's, you know, they freeze her, like Demolition Man style or something. And then it's years down the road, and you got an older Hicks, and now, uh, you know, like, late teens, early 20s, um, Newt. And they go to get her out. Uh, and then aliens end up there. I don't know. I, I'm not. I'm not a writer, guys. It's just an idea. So, so basically, you're saying you wanted Alien Four, uh, but as Alien Three. Kind of, yeah. <laughs> and it, it's, but I love that. Yeah, basically, yeah, yeah. Except for the clone part. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's like I will say this. I do feel bad for David Fincher because you know, again, this was a film that the studio went out to make a release date, not a movie. Which is all they do now. That's all they do now. They, I discovered this. This is a side note. I just discovered that Ghostbusters 2 
Started production November, whatever, the day after uh, Thanksgiving, what, November 26, 1988. And it had to be done by June 14th, 1989. That's a special effects heavy movie. It's not some low budget nothing. And they had to rush that movie. And that's stupid. And, and maybe that's why it's not as good as the first one. Yeah. And that's the thing is very rarely do any of these films that you rush out ever actually work the way that you want them to. Yeah. Now, the the Scream wanna, 6, the, the body on Scream 5 isn't even cold and they're already in production on Scream 6. That's stupid. Yeah, and even then, okay, like, let's tangent on that just for a second. I'm sorry, but Scream Four, I think, was the font was the best ending you could have had for all that stuff. It it actually did a decent job of being a continue uh, continue of the meta commentary on the horror on horror as a franchise. Yeah, well, and then the fandom, the toxic fandom, is interesting in part five. But they yeah. forced back the, the, the surviving three. And like, oh, I still matter what Dewey. <laughs> yeah, and, well, it's, and that's the thing. I'll accept five on that, that they're at least addressing toxic fandom. And at this point, I go like, you are done. Yes. You have literally said everything you can say. And if they're going to screen. continue, leave out Sydney and um, Gail Weathers. I don't want them to die. I don't want this to be like Star Wars trilogy where one dies every entry. Let's just let it go. We have a new cast we can go with. They're going to New York. Please just stop yeah. calling Fable. But okay, oh, back, okay. Back, to, back to our original thing. Also, Alien 3, I, stop I, killing the people who survived <laughs> the previous film. Um, I want to say this. Uh, it's an ugly as shit film. Uh, you know, visually, I think it's ugly as fuck, even though he, he films the shit out of it and makes it look the best he can. And everybody looks the same, and that is there a reasoning to that? Was there a theme that well, I don't get? Like, uh, it, it's it's because they, it's a planet that's you, know, you got uh, what's it called? Uh, lots of lice and shit like that. So it's basically shave you know shave your body hair so you're not carrying parasites. Yeah, around. but I'll say this: look at part four, and you know exactly what everybody is. They all have their own unique personality. I really love that about the fourth one. I think the fourth one's highly underrated, and then I think. Uh, there's something just not appealing to me about the third one. I know I burn my bridges because we have certain people that are huge fans of it. I do like the dog idea. It makes a hell of a lot more. Or wait, no, it's a dog in the theatrical it's the cut. cut. It's a bowl in the assembly cut. What made them change yeah. that? It seems like it was very expensive. Uh, it kind of it it looks like shit. <laughs> I think is part of the problem, and also I think test audiences have you know it's like. I know they didn't respond that well to it, so they just kind of went, well, what's something that could hurt you more, me? And yeah. seeing a dog suffer hurts you more, makes you not like the monster more. Right. But, well, you know what's but, funny is, um, after this, they introduced a line of Aliens toys. Do you remember these, where they were all different oh, yeah. kinds of animals? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I had those. Well, let's see, one thing, I, one of the other reasons why everyone looks like they do it all stuff is because of the script changes. Because you do know that it was originally going, like, right before they rewrote the script for, like, the 8 billionth time, it was going to be on a, in a monastery planet. Oh. Yeah, you, you have, have you ever seen the, the they're making of documentary? I think I did that? watch it, but I've forgotten uh, quite a bit. I think my brain is rotted through. Vincent Ward wrote it, right? And there was, yeah. Was it going to be a different director, and then they got Fincher? I can't remember. Yeah, I, I think it was, yeah, I think it was, like, it was a different director. I think it was, maybe it was also Vincent Ward. Maybe. I but it was yeah it's like I think it's a I will phrase it like this 
it's a dumb idea and scientifically implausible in any way, but I like the idea of the wooden monastery planet that these monks are running around fighting the devil, quote-unquote. <laughs> I like that idea. That now, would have been so fucking different and interesting. This is the first Alien movie that I saw. I caught this on HBO when it premiered. Uh, a friend of mine was a huge fan of the first two, and he came over and said, you guys got HBO? And I was like, yeah. And it's like, oh, I gotta see this. And I watched it, and I was like, I didn't understand the context, so a lot of it didn't bother me. You know, the, the you know Newton Hicks dying. Um, and I, I, thought, I, thought, I thought it was pretty damn... I still pretty damn entertaining. Now, give me that. As, as ugly as it is, and I'm mad about some of the elements of it, uh, it's still truly exciting. The, the fucking... The fact that it just like races through these tunnels at light speed, ripping these people apart, you know, and they're trying to set up this plan, this labyrinth of uh, traps, and it, it never seems to work. Uh, Charles oh. S. Dutton, holy fucking crap, that's the performance of this movie. Yeah, well, him and and Dance, Charles Dance, are both amazing. But Charles Dance is hardly in it. That's the thing but people yeah, I think that, that, He gets taken out real fast. Yeah, he's he's. He's given Hicks energy this whole time, and then, yeah, he just gets wiped out quick. And, yeah, and Charles Dutton is, oh, my God, he he is saying all these amazing epic epic speeches, and he delivers them so fucking brilliantly. And He's just a badass, and when they start to attack her, and he rips them off of them, whatever, and gives them a speech about who the fuck they are in there, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's like... It also has, uh, I forgot that Peter Postlewaite was in this. Yeah. But uh, Paul McGann, who uh, is one of the many actors who played the Doctor. Yeah, he was number eight. So literally the only Doctor who I've ever seen. Still, I know, we bring this up every couple months. I'll get around to it someday. (laughs) But yeah, he's the the prisoner who goes crazy and uh, releases the alien once, once they actually trap it in this cut. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's... I think there's a lot of really interesting elements. It's like, was this the first use of full-body CGI? Like, where they tried to create a, a life form with CGI? Uh, no, because you had, uh... You still had dress... No, wait. You know, it's been 92, so... Maybe? Yeah, because I don't count the T2 or the Abyss, because that was just more like... It wasn't trying to replicate organic. It was just a liquid or... What do you want to call it? Well, well no, you do, you do have the T2... Morphing from you know like walking yeah, out of, of the fire and stuff. I don't count that though. I guess was that around the fire? I thought that was two th- yeah. elements put together. Yeah. No, no, he he gets uh, destroyed in you know, like he oh blown, yes blown up in the thing right when he falls the... into the the molten. Okay, there you go. But it looks so damn good in this. Uh, I don't know what else to say about this. It, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah. Oh, it's it definitely. It, if you're going to ever see a cut of this film, the assembly cut's the one to see. Yeah, I mean, there's it's only, one that makes the most sense. It changes the entire structure, and it feels like a different movie, whereas the director's cuts of the other three movies are so... Like, there's one additional scene in the first one where they find... Um, oh, no, there's, there's, a few, there's a few additional scenes. Is there? The problem is... Yeah, I don't remember Tom there's... Skerritt being in the whole webby goo no, that she has to that's, kill. That, that's the most... I'll say this, That's the most noticeable okay. sequence, but... The I think the best scene added in the first Aliens one is them coming across the the warning signal that the uh, that the ship is giving off. Okay, and I remember in the third one, no, the fourth one, there's just like an opening CGI sequence outside the ship. That's all I can remember that was new. Yeah, I I want to see. There's like 
there's like extensions to scenes, but that's about yeah, it. Yeah, but nothing significant. Not like this one. This yeah, yeah. it's a whole different film almost. So yeah. um, are we moving on? I we I we're good. Okay, so memoirs, the Invisible Man, the highly maligned, I think, sorely underrated. Uh, thrown away by the studio because they didn't know what the fuck to do with it. Destroyed <laughs> more than one career. <laughs> uh, I think Memoirs of the Invisible Man is pretty good. I will I will say this. I thought I hadn't seen this movie. And then when we got to the point where Chevy Chase is having that nightmare where he has no dick, then I remembered that I had seen this. So that's how, <laughs> I guess, how memorable this movie is to me. Okay. Yeah, I, I've seen it actually about a dozen times, and uh, I know about the behind-the-scenes stories where Carpenter wanted to make it more funny, and Chevy Chase wanted to be more serious, which is what I didn't expect. Um, I've read the book. It's, it's somewhat in the same as the book. Um, it's more of a special effects bonanza, and Sam Neill is awesome. Yeah. Uh, Daryl just... Hannah's kind of thrown away, but I love the guy. There's one thing I always remember from this movie more than anything else. There's the guy that talks like this. Ah, I've got amazing hair and my voice sounds like it's, you know, Gregory Peck even lower. <laughs> I thought he was faking that voice. Yeah, I was just, yeah this I definitely didn't, it, in watching it this time around, I did not like it. I'm genuinely surprised William Goldman had something to do with this. But it's like, I also, I guess, he's never, as I recall in reading this, He's never seen the film, so he has no idea what is actually kept from his draft yeah, of it. Yeah, and I, I've read that it got chopped up and reshot, and there's a lot of stuff that happened, you know, in production to to alter yeah. it. But yeah, it's uh, there's there's some practical stuff, you know, some of the uh, like the invi- the partially invisible building stuff. I think is, is that's a really cool practical set. Uh, you know, around this time we had. Uh, Roger Rabbit, so the invisible, quote-unquote, invisible character interacting with an environment stuff looks pretty good, because we have the technology now to do it. Yeah, I just, I think the weakest part of this movie are the two leads, Daryl Hannah and Chevy Chase. Chevy doesn't seem to know what he wants, and Daryl Hannah's just there. Just there. That's it. Yeah, well, and that's the thing, is, it's supposed to be uh, in as much of a comedy it definitely doesn't play like it's a farce or anything so it's not you know we're not getting slap necessarily slapstick but i don't think i ever laughed at any point in this film so i genuinely wonder were they trying to be funny yeah, I mean that's or what I read did. is that Chevy didn't want to be funny, and John Carpenter did, and but John Carpenter doesn't necessarily. Well, I mean, well, he has it? been kind of dryly funny in movies, you know, when he yeah. directs like you know, Big Trouble of China probably being the funniest of the bunch, but yeah, but that's Chevy, also yeah, Chevy that, was going through that thing that Eddie Murphy was doing where they just didn't want to be funny anymore. Yeah, it's just there's nothing in this film that that like I said it build as it's supposed to be humorous and there's not and the problem is it's like the drama doesn't work as well as it should to carry a dramatic performance and he like I said there's no let no real levity so it's just kind of in the sense of like why am I watching this uh, I don't I, know I, 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 I just, see, yeah I see I it a little bit differently but I can see why it stumbled well well it's not like I go like 
you can you sit there and watch like Robin Williams as a great example, a guy who can be hilariously you know funny in comedies, but then in his dramatic roles, you see you know, all you know see the man. Putting, yeah, he commits. For the, for, for Maybe the that's what it is. Chevy and, is nervous about dropping what everybody knows about him. That yeah, that person, he either has the Fletch or the Clark Griswold. He doesn't have the dramatic well, chops that hell, people are accustomed to. Nothing but trouble, which is a terrible movie, is fun. Is fun is ten times funnier than this movie. Ugh, I can't watch that movie. It makes me so nauseous. Uh, um. Where are we at? Oh, uh, our last oh, film is Encino Man. Right, which is, my God, it's a 30-year-old movie, and does, and does, does, would you agree that this film actually holds up pretty well? Uh, I, I just, part of it's nostalgia, and two, it made me so happy. It made me so happy. I really didn't see anything that, look, it has a timestamp because of the music and the style. But subject matter, I didn't find myself going, ooh, that has aged badly. Uh, we just watched Dude Wears My Car, and there's a lot of transphobia in that. <laughs> and I was like, oh, this didn't age well at all. Oh, my God. It's, it's, I mean, yes, Sean Astin, it's funny is that I didn't realize it for the longest time that Sean Astin is basically his own worst enemy. He's the one who keeps fucking this up. Forget, you know, he, and it's Polly Shore who's, and, and Brendan Fraser that are the heart of this movie. They're so fucking sweet, kind-hearted yeah. people. What, yeah, what's nice, interesting about this is... It, it's not a particularly deep film, but it's got some poignant moments where it's just like, you know, I, I was genuinely kind of shocked because I, you know, this I this is a film I'd seen in theaters. I, I'd seen it off and on, every now and then. But you know, it's been a good decade at least since I've seen it last. Yeah, it might have been and, a decade. This was this was a regular watch. All the Polly shorts were a regular watch for a while. But yeah, it's been a while since I've seen this one. It's like I'm far more familiar with like in the army now. And, and uh, son-in-law more so than this, and yeah, it's like I'm sitting there going, "Wow, this thing actually does talk about found family and stuff like that." That I was far more shocked at, you know, going, "Damn right, Polly." Yeah, or, or in using weasel. people. And I'm going to tell you right now, when I was in high school, I was more Sean Astin than Polly Shore. I was kind of a user abuser asshole. I, I'm ashamed of it. Uh, I was none of those people actually. I, I would I would almost said Link, but I would have to have been cool. To <coughs> Excuse me, sorry. I've been fighting off a sneeze that whole time. But I, I I do have no. to wonder the the out of anything in this film that defies belief in this movie about a caveman unfrozen in 1992. <laughs> why would they let him drive a car? Why would they let their son dig a muddy pool? Why yeah, do they keep letting this go? <laughs> but but yeah, the uh, the entire thing of it. Okay, I guess at some places, sure, they had drivers ed in in schools. I I guess I can see that, but Link has no identification. <laughs> No real identifications. Uh, has he taken any of these driving courses? They just seem to. He just kind of shows up one day, and they put him in the front seat of a car and says, "Drive." <laughs> and it's like, um, <laughs> I miss movies that were filmed in the valley. There is a very particular feel 
uh, to these. And every time I watch this, I know a lot of the connective tissue is because Richard Mazur is the dad in both. But I feel like this would go really well with License to Drive. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. There's something about like the goofy, the camaraderie, and the adventure, or whatever, and just the valley. The, I, no one shoots movies in the valley anymore, and it, it's kind of depressing. Well, they do, but they're all dark, gritty. You know, it's Nightcrawler and shit. Oh, okay. Yeah, but I mean, like, do you remember the teen movies were always shot yeah. there? Now they all feel like they're shot in Vancouver. Uh, well, uh, well, to be honest, the last. The last great one was done, and that was Clueless. Yeah, that's what I was saying. I was like, what's the last one that was shot in the Valley? It's Clueless. Okay. Um, I had the soundtrack, and I listened to it all the time. On cassette, in my car. Oh, God, I love it so much. Leave my, leave my curl alone. Da, 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 da. <laughs> yeah, it's got suicidal tendencies is in the is in the movie. I think they're the band of the uh, prom. Yeah, I get... <laughs> I, no, no, no. It, that's what I was about to say. I'm looking, looking at it on IMDb right now. I get suicide tendencies uh, and infectious grooves confused. Oh, Don't they oh, have... That's right. What's that? That's right. That's right. The infectious grooves, not suicidal tendencies. Um, but but it, one of the guys is the same, trio, right? It's trio. Okay. But, uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> be the monkey. I love in these movies, and it's only been in like five or six of them at most, the casual, hey, everybody, we all know the same dance. Let's go. <laughs> yeah, like the, the villains in this movie are terrible. Like even, even four bully characters, they're just kind of. They're idiots, the, and I think they, they know, yeah. Like, like even, yeah, they're like the most ineffectual villains I've ever seen like hell uh, I, I saw uh, not too long ago rewatched uh, Weird Science and uh, uh, Robert Downey Jr. and the other guy are dopey villains like that but at least they aren't as uh, well you can use the word again ineffectual as foils yeah yeah it's, they're, it, well they're there that's the funny thing is they didn't even need the enemies really you could take them completely out of the movie and the problem is, is that Dave is the villain. He's his own villain, and he keeps getting in the way and causing all these problems. Why does he hold the fucking? Why does he even have the photo? Remember we're naked and it's like ew, yeah, you're creepy. No. <laughs> By the way, I'm looking at the soundtrack, and it's been bugging me for years now. I knew of a hip hop song that sampled an old Alice Cooper song, and I could not figure out what it was. And it's oh. Tone Loke's Cool Hand Loke. Yeah, and oh, I I was wrong. Mike Muir from uh, Suicidal Tendencies is also he's the singer in. Okay, yeah, that's the more like Infectious Screws is the more like Red Hot Chili Peppers sound. Yeah, I I had to look that up because I'm going, Psycho Mike's in that is in that band too, right? That's why it's like that's why I keep getting them confused half the time. Yeah, and I remember this this had a hit single off it. It was Vince Neil's first like on his own. You're invited, but your friend can't come. Oh. And that made it our uh, our Motley Crew perfect concert list. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! But yeah, uh, if we're if we're gonna have to say anything, I honestly I would have to give Encino Man my favorite of these four. Films. Oh, absolutely! This I I, enjoy, I could watch this again right now and be completely okay with it. Yeah, I feel like I should I should have taken notes. I feel like there was something else I really wanted to say about this movie, but. It's just, it's very sweet nature to launch the career of Polly Shore. You know, if you love him or hate him, he was a cash cow for a moment. And, well, also uh, gave us, and also, yeah, gave us Brendan Fraser because I think at this point he had done like a TV movie or something. Yeah. Like oh, and, and let's talk about Les Mayfield, one of the weirdest directors I've ever seen in my life, like career wise. If you look at his 
uh, filmography, he's one of those guys that isn't remembered because he never stuck to one genre. I mean, so he does this. He does Miracle on 34th Street. Oh, uh, I should say that he was a Zemeckis um, protege. Okay. And I, and you can definitely, you can I can see that in this film. And, yeah, so he, what he had done is he did the making of Back to the Future 2 and 3, which aired, whatever, and then he just basically got the, the boost from Zemeckis to, you know, uh, get his own film. And at the time, uh, uh, Hollywood Pictures was really new, and they were starving for any talent uh, that would come over. Because, you know, they weren't, I mean, it was Disney-owned, but no one really knew that name. So, you know, they're hiring Spielberg and guys like that to just give them some sort of uh, credibility. Some sort of prestige, yeah. Yeah. But it goes Encino Man, Miracle on 34th Street, Flubber, Blue Streak, American Outlaws. And then the last two are kind of like, I can see why they gave him the job because of Blue Streak, The Man, and Codename the Cleaner. But for a while there, it is all over the place. Yeah, that there's definitely a lot of, you know, before you get to kind of, you get to the ending of that, it's like, one of these things is not like the others. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's one other thing. Oh, do you feel like they went back and they reshot and added more Polly Shore? Oh, definitely. The, it, it it really feels like he tested well, so then they just started adding him in to all sorts of things. Like, part of me feels like the entire uh, thing in the in the uh, convenience store is a reshoot. Yes, because he has all that goop all over his shirt. Uh, 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 Link does. You know, from Weezing the Juice. Weezing the Juice! Um, and then uh, they show it again, and he has nothing on him whatsoever as he's saying goodbye when he says, I'll be back. So I feel like they went in, they probably had like just a little bit where they were in there, and then they went back and did all the goofing around, like improv with all the candy and the food and stuff like that, the form food groups. Um, yeah, yeah. There's, a, there's a scene where he's with uh, the guys at the Mexican bar, and they're all talking about how to talk like him. I feel like they added that. And at the end, the very end, he shows up in the post-credits and goes, I'll be back. <laughs> yeah, as, almost, almost as if that was a... Cause that wasn't his scene or even hit you know for him to call back on so yeah it's like that had there's a whole much a whole bunch of his stuff that definitely had to have been uh thrown in to capitalize on how well he tested yeah and then we have brendan frazier him and Polly shore must got along really well because he makes cameos in his next two movies almost in the same as the same character because <laughs> he's a frog or something like that in one of the movies and uh and then he just shows up he's like oh the food tastes terrible here and guy runs off um, well yeah because he's, he's a soldier in uh in, in the army now with with the name badge link okay but like is he in is he in the he is he is in a scene during a party in son-in-law in the very beginning i think he's a frog there too hmm uh, we discovered also right before recording uh, there's a sequel to this, a TV movie sequel, which I am almost certain is going to be utter shit. <laughs> I just know it. It's like smell it. <laughs> TV movie sequels tend to be. Well, it's like it feels like just just by looking at it that it is a in the name only sequel, like say American Psycho two or something. Yeah, like that. I mean there is an Encino woman at the end of this. That's the story. So, yeah, I'm wondering what in the hell they could have done with the second one. 
But you know, there's there's what 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 sequel did you see? I'm sorry, I got lost in my own head. Oh, American American Psycho Two. Oh right, where, yeah. Where but, it's just, it's a completely different film, and then you know you to capitalize this, they like shot a you know like one thing or two additional stuff to be like, oh okay, we're gonna now tie this into that. Yeah, I mean, and that could very well be a weirdo is in Encino and oh we're now we've got a we shot a off you know reference someone off camera just was like weren't you a cave woman yeah uh, and I know that before Directive Video really became a profitable thing for studios which started around that time 95 96 but they used to do like the jerk 2 T-O-O splash 2 but they were TV movies that were barely connected and this seems like yeah definitely one of those like oh we have the rights let's just keep going Yes, it's Grease 2, probably. <laughs> I kind of like Grease 2, but... <laughs> All right, so let's wrap this up. Uh, where can we find you on the internet, Turs? Uh, right now, really just on Twitter. M-Y-U-Z-I-S-H-I-O-N. Come say hi. Tell me I'm dumb. I don't... At this point, I don't really care. <laughs> no, I get no interactions on Twitter, really. Uh, I keep weird. forgetting to tag you on it. I'm sorry, because the automatic thing that loads it up to Twitter... I, I don't get to comment on on Facebook. I get to on Twitter. I don't. I just feel like I should just find a way around it. I apologize. Um, th- this had come up recently, but I've been in the podcasting field now for eight years, eight plus years. And you're gonna get if you're new to the game, you're gonna get bad reviews. You're gonna get people fucking with you. You're gonna get trolls. You're gonna have to get thicker skin people in order to deal with this. I just dust it off because it's usually people who don't even listen to the show. They're just fucking with you. Uh, as long as you love this more than whatever that is, that, that negativity, you know, keep on going. But if you can, maybe it's time to walk away. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. It's, I mean, Dust I think I've had, I've genuinely had only one real discussion about any of the podcasts I've ever done with, uh, with a random person. And that was, uh, about uh, the film Immortal that I did with uh, one of the former former hosts of stuff. Yep. <laughs> one day I'll get over and be okay with it. Right now, it's still some... <laughs> All right, so uh, check me out on uh, the corner of Fifth and Market Street. I'll be standing down there where the hamburger, the code word is Bluetooth Hansky. Bye. <laughs>